Let's go to the Lord again in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, once again we come before You asking Your divine manifestation to each one of us in the continuance of this worship. We thank You for the promise that where two or three are met together, You are there. So we know that You're here. We know that angels are present. But we ask that You would speak to our hearts and souls. Encourage us. Strengthen us. Grant us repentance where needed. And help us to have the spirit of worship with a ready mind in a way that is pleasing to you. And if so, then it will be honoring unto you. Again, we would pray for faithful men who preach the word of the Lord. We would pray for the people whose property is in jeopardy with regard to the wildfires. For people whose lives are in turmoil because of sin or sickness or persecution. Help us to be able to get a grips or a grip on the things of this life that we may serve you acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For it is in Christ we pray. Amen. We come back to 1 John chapter 2. Basically, we are looking at these verses of 15, 16, and 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. 
without question, these verses tell us that he who loves the world does not love God. And yet each one of us in our own particular way have something or some things that are near and dear to us from just merely a worldly standpoint. And we have to try to weigh that out. And it's not always easy. There are various things that we have to attend to and take care of. If you have property, whether whatever that property is, whether it's a a vehicle or a house or maybe even a computer or some something, you have to maintain it and up and keep it up. There's one thing this is kindly I guess maybe foolish on my part. Uh, My house needs cleaning. And uh, uh, I keep thinking, well, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll put that off till tomorrow or something of that nature. But I got to thinking recently, there'll be no house cleaning in the glory world. (laughs) You know, there's, there's things that have to be done. The yard has to be up, kept up. A vehicle, occasionally it needs to be washed. And, uh, you know, you have to have the oil changed. And uh, this, that, and the other. There's things that we have to do in this world. We live in the world, but we are not to live of the world. And we need to have the right attitude uh, with those things, it's like I was uh, when uh, the last uh, haircut that I got after I had gotten home, I called my barber up. I knew that he would do that. He came to my house and cut my hair because I really wasn't driving at that. Much. Well, I think I may have been driving by then, but he has some kind of high steps that go into his shop. But anyway, I told him, I said, there's three things that I feel good about when it's over that I hate to do. And I said, one of them is uh, taking a bath. (laughs) Uh, Brother Copeland would uh, aid me and me on that probably. (laughs) But no, seriously, uh, mowing the yard and getting a haircut. Uh, Probably if I thought about cleaning the house, I would have thought about that too. But uh, anyway... You know, those are things that have to be done. But when we come to the point and cross the line to where we begin to love the things of the world, we don't love God. 
Now, remember that love is more a verb in the New Testament than a noun. So it's not necessarily your feelings toward the world, though that may be included. But how do I know that I'm loving the world and not loving God is by the fact that if I am spending my time and energy trying to amass the things of the world in deference to the things of God, then I'm loving the world. And it may be what one is trying to amass or attain, it might be something that is not sinful in itself. For example, you have to have employment and have to have an income. And But when a person takes that employment and his job to the point that he uses it and attains, try to attain the, the advancement of work uh, at the expense of the Word of God, then it becomes sinful. We're not to love the world. We're not to go after the world. We're, we're not to try to attain the things of the world. And as we're going to see, and as we've already seen, and as we continue to see throughout this small book, love is not in word only, but it is in deed. It's in action. That's how we know that we love. As we will see when we get to the third chapter in particular, if we see our brother have need and we have the wherewithal to uh, help alleviate that need and do not, then we're not loving. And as our Lord regarded mammon, no man can have two masters. For either he will love the one or hate the other. You cannot serve God in mammon. And you cannot serve the world and serve God. You know the passage in Matthew 6. I'll turn there and read it. Matthew 6, 24, though I've already pretty much read it, uh, quoted it. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And John plainly said here in verse 15 of chapter 2 of his, this epistle, If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Period. So we either serve God 
or the world. Or we could say it this way, we either serve God or the devil. There's no middle ground. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Verses 20 and 21, Paul said, But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrificed, or sacrifice, they sacrificed to devils and not to God. I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partaker of the Lord's table and the table of devils. In other words, if we're not serving God, we're serving Satan. There's no gray area in the Scriptures. It's either of God or it's not. There's no neutral ground. Whatever we do or say, it is either to God or it's not. And if it's not done unto the Lord and for His honor and His glory, it is of the devil. Now some people will say, I try to object and say, well, no, it's not the devil. It's just, uh, it's simply our flesh. And while it may be of the flesh that it is carried out, we must realize that the things that are done in the flesh and of the flesh is simply of the devil. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter four verse three But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Now notice this in whom the God of this world, that's the devil hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The reason people do not believe and serve God is because the devil has blinded them. Their flesh is blinded. They can't see. They can't hear. They can't understand. They are in bondage. It's because that they are dead in trespasses and in sin. Turn back to the Gospel of John. John chapter 12.
I got the wrong wrong passage there. Let me try. Let's look at fourteen, John fourteen thirty. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. The prince of this world hath nothing in God, and yet he comes and he tries us, he tempts us, and it's either it's of the devil, it's not of the Lord. And in John sixteen eleven, he talks about how that the prince of this world has been judged. And that the devil is included in all of this. Verse 14 of 1 John 2 definitely brings him into the picture. We're looking at verse 15, but look in verse 14. I have written unto you fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men, because you are strong, and the word, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. The wicked one. The devil. And then in verse 18... Little children, it is the last time, and ye have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. You know, people. some people make much to do about the Antichrist that is going to come. And I believe there will be a manifestation of the Antichrist in a way uh, <clears throat> that we haven't seen before the Lord returns. But Antichrist is already here. Antichrist is already here. It was here in John's day. It's here today. The whole world and worldly system is Antichrist. It is contrary to the things of the Lord. And in our own nation, where the gospel is losing more and more influence throughout the population, we can see more and more of the things of Antichrist being manifested day by day. You see, we do not have a political problem. Oh yes, politics has entered into it. We have a spiritual problem. We have a spiritual problem. Verse 16 For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not 
of the Father, but is of the world. Now, essentially, my entire ministry, I have preached against pride. And I try to avoid using that word at any time to commend anyone. My family uh, pretty well has uh, written me off because of that, as well as a lot of other things, because I wouldn't say that I was proud of them. I would always uh, several years ago, back in the 70s, I finally found something that I liked uh, to replace the word pride to say, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for what you've done. I'm thankful for what you've accomplished and, and things of that nature. I try to use other words. The word pride in the Scriptures is never ever used in a positive manner. It's always condemned. It's always condemned. Well, I'll say more about that in a moment. But the first thing that comes up in this 16th verse is lust. Lust. It's used some 37 or 8 times. And while I'm not going to look at all of them, uh, in looking at how this word is used, I do have 10 or 12 verses that I'd like to bring to your attention to show you from God's perspective uh, how this word is used and that we might get a better understanding. We normally think of lust as just simply uh, inordinate passion for something. And while it does include that, it is much broader. First of all, let's look in Mark chapter 4. I know most people say, well, we already know what lust is and why, why go to all that trouble? Well, I learned a long time ago not to take too much for granted. I probably still do. But I have found in my 50 some odd years of preaching that sometimes I would cover something in a message that I thought was quite uh, elementary that everybody knew for somebody to say after the sermon, well, I never noticed that before. So as a result of that, uh, I probably now go overboard on the other extreme, but I'd rather do that than to omit uh, something that may need to be emphasized. In Mark chapter 4, 
Jesus is talking about the parable of the sower. And he talks about those that were the seed were sown among the thorns. We'll pick up in verse 18. And these are they which are sown among the thorns, such as hear the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. We have seen uh, in our day, even in this congregation, people that have come in, professed to be believers, said they were believers, but yet eventually the, the things of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things entered in and choked the Word, and it became unfruitful, and they went out from us. There's nothing more frustrating to watch, and sadly, it's quite frustrating to the person that you're watching that he's always running after one scheme after another and he's going to make his fortune in this, that, or the other for it to turn out to be a flop. I find people all the time that they are looking for something trying to find a niche that will provide for all of their needs so they won't have to work so hard. Well, that's just not the norm. The norm is that we earn by the sweat of our brow. No, by the sweat of our face. You know, you can sit in a hot room and sweat pop up on your forehead. But when you're working really hard, not only your forehead, but your cheeks, your face starts sweating. Much much more labor. They're always looking for the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things. The lust of other things. Trying to find something that will appeal to their own how shall I say it? their own comfort. And when the Word of God is not first and foremost in the life of an individual, they will allow allow anything to hinder them from attending worship. 
one thing comes to mind. There was an individual that I know of years ago that missed worship service, one of the worship service uh, where he was a member, because uh, the family cat was going to be buried that afternoon. Now, can you imagine such a thing? I was so dumbfounded when I found out about it, I didn't know what to say. I was almost afraid to say anything for fear that I'd <laughs> get too sinful in, in, in saying what needed to be said. The cares of the world. And it's no wonder that such individuals, though may, they may seem to be reading and studying and the Word of God and uh, reading their devotions every day and things of that nature and attend uh, worship on a regular basis, uh, it's no wonder that they seemingly are never content. You say, well, what do you think about them? Well, I'll just have to leave that in God's hands. But it does show a lack for the Word of God. Romans chapter 1. Talking about lust. The desires of the flesh. See, just in the illustration we just used, it doesn't always have to be some passionate sexual desire. Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Well, I guess if I look at verse 24, I kept looking at verse 28. Verse 24, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Here are people that they were not born this way they went after things that were contrary to the Scriptures and God gave them over to themselves. Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lusts thereof. Romans 7, 7. Paul said, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust. Except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. 
Romans 13, verse 14. And put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provisions for the flesh, provision for the flesh, to fulfill the lusts thereof. Galatians 5, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And when we preached through Galatians, we preached several sermons on what it is to walk in the Spirit. Ephesians 2, 3, Among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. In other words, we did whatever we felt like doing. Whatever our flesh wanted, that was the ruling factor of our lives. First Timothy six verse nine. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. People that want to be rich, people that desire to be rich, they read, they study, and I tell you what, beloved, it takes a lot of time to do that. Several years ago, I subscribed to some newsletters that gave you a list of what they call penny stocks that you could invest in. In other words, it was normally it were it was companies that were just starting up and they would sell their shares, you know, for pennies on the dollar. And many of them uh would later on uh grow and prosper and uh, and things of that nature. You know, people say today they wish they had bought uh, Apple stock when it first came out and things of that nature. Well, I started studying some of that. I never did have any money to invest. But I thought maybe if I could find some stock and figure it out and 
when I'd start following a stock or something of that nature, uh, most of them never panned out. First of all, you had to have a lot of money to do that, even with penny stock. And secondly, it took a lot of time. And I finally got fed up with trying to read all of that stuff. And so when the subscription ran out, uh, I didn't get any more. Well, I did get junk mail for uh, Seemed Like Eternity trying to get me to sign up again. And uh, I got to thinking, well, if they can put out slick material and pages on top of pages on top of pages on top of pages of printed stuff, and they can mail that out, and they're still making money, uh, there's something, you know, something's not kosher in Denmark. And so, but my point is, You just fall into, it, it'll take you away from the things of God. Evidently, the Lord didn't want me to be rich. And I couldn't handle it. I'd probably be full of pride or something. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. I've had people, good friends of mine, that have figured out and studied some of that stuff and they wrote out their assessment of what needed to be done and how it should be done and things of that nature in order to make profit. By the time I got through reading it, I was as much confused or more so than I was before I started. I said, that just takes me away from studying the Word of God. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Titus 2.12 Well, we need, we need to read verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The grace of God teaches us to deny worldly lusts. James chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither neither tempteth he any man. <clears throat> but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. 
First Peter two, verse eleven. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Second Peter one four. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And then in first John two, verse seventeen, and the world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Obviously, much, much more could be said about lust. But we will let that suffice. I thought just showing these few select passages throughout the New Testament should be enough to give us the idea of what our Lord would have us to know. Well, the next thing is the flesh. And if I start to look at that, it'll probably run us over uh, longer than what it would need to, so I'm going to uh, stop and take up with flesh, the lust of the flesh, the flesh part uh, this afternoon, and we'll come back to this passage, but we'll go ahead and close for now. Our Heavenly Father, help us to properly fight against the lust of the flesh. We recognize the sinfulness of our nature. And my Father, we look forward to the day when living without sin, without lust, with all purity of mind and heart, will be far more natural. It's the only word I know to come up with at this time. Than it is to sin now. Seems like a dream. And yet we look forward to that day when we shall awaken thy likeness and shall be satisfied. Any desires that we have will be a godly affection for you and our Savior, Christ Jesus, in whom we pray. Amen.